The following program is supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. Close your eyes for a couple of minutes. Just close and tight. And are you any less intelligent? Are you any less incapable? Oh, I'm getting emotional. It's really hard to talk about. When I would talk to people about me having autism, they'd look at me and they'd be like, you don't look autistic. Marie, why don't you want to go to school anymore? And I said, because Roger picks on me. Are you any less mobile just because you've got your eyes closed? And the answer is no. He doesn't look autistic or he'll grow out of it or everyone's just a little bit autistic or on the spectrum. We got that a lot and we get that a lot. And this is what happens is when young people like that are bullied, they don't want to go, they don't feel like they fit in, they're not being included. You know, we all just need to break down these barriers and stigmas and just all get along. I'm not that comfortable with saying I'm a dwarf, but that's up to me to say it. It's not up for someone to call me that. If you knew what autism is and the challenges that we face on a daily basis, you wouldn't be making such a bold comment like that. I think it comes down to misconceptions and misrepresentation. Don't label people, don't put labels on people. Treat each person as an individual, whether they have special needs or not. Each person is unique in their own way. Each person strives in their own way. Because I want people to understand the experience, because then they can understand how to communicate with others, how to be inclusive and supportive of people going through limb difference, where they themselves can't represent what they're going through. My disability does not define me. I don't have a disability. I have a different ability because I am differently abled. Prepare to shatter preconceived notions and misconceptions about disabilities with 2MFM's groundbreaking interview series, Differently Abled. Be inspired by a group of individuals who are challenging stereotypes every day. Differently Abled. Paving the way for a more inclusive tomorrow.
Every time people of short stature enter a new place, not only do they encounter physical barriers navigating a world that is not built for them, but they also have to navigate people's attitudes, stares and remarks. And as we know throughout history, people of short stature have been ridiculed and othered because of the physical differences they possess. Historic perceptions of people of short stature have carried into popular culture today. And as we see in movies and the entertainment industry, they're often the subject of ridicule and laughter, promoting problematic stereotypes of dwarfism. But what we don't see is the true and raw experiences, the struggles, the accomplishments, the three-dimensional lives that people of short stature lead. For that reason, we give you the opportunity to see through the eyes of Marie Jenner, who is a woman of short stature or dwarfism. Marie Jenner is the National Vice President of Short Statured People of Australia, SSPA, a non-for-profit organisation that provides support, advice and info for people with dwarfism and the wider community. She also facilitates school inclusion programs exploring physical and attitudinal barriers. Today, she has kindly joined us to share her own personal experiences of difference and the challenges faced by growing up little in a world built for average height people. She is here to continue her efforts in increasing awareness of the physical and attitudinal barriers she continues to face in society, as well as educate us about the appropriate and inappropriate interactions with a person of short stature. Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. That's a wonderful, very good introduction. Thank you. Uh, Marie, now I want to pass the microphone, as they say to you. Give us some background info about yourself, where you grew up, and a little bit about your diagnosis with achondroplasia. Thank you. Yes. So I'm an old member of the short statute community. I'm actually um, in my senior years now. So I was, when I was born, like 80% of people with short stature or dwarfism are born to average height parents. So when I was born, my parents, uh, there's no incident at all of people with dwarfism in our family. So it was a surprise and it takes a little while for them to get their head around it. But um, basically we had a very wise GP, a general, a doctor, and he had said to my parents, because I had an older sister, she was she's two years older than me, I have an older sister. I actually have four siblings, older sister, I'm the second eldest, two younger sisters and a younger brother. So there's five children, only one child with dwarfism, which is me. So for them, that was like it was a completely, you know, unexpected situation. But they were told by this wise doctor that I was to be able to do what my other siblings were doing. So not to hold me back in relation to my dwarfism, but to actually, you know, let me go out there and experience it. And he he had a really wise message to my mother and, and my father, but my mother was the one that saw him the most, was uh, Marie needs support, not so much to be protected and held um, in cotton wool, so to speak. She needs to learn to advocate and stand up for herself. So that was from a very early age because going to school, and like you said in your introduction, 
someone like myself, it was when I went to school that then I became aware I was different because at home, my sisters and I, you know, we all got on. We they they accepted me for being short, and so it was nothing was really said other than, "Oh, Marie needs a step," or "Marie needs this," or "Can you do that for her?" It was just getting on with it. When I went to school, that's when society, the children, of course, noticed. So, were you the, were you often the target of bullies in school? Did you feel any yeah. kind of prejudice, perhaps, from teachers? Um. In relation to teachers, no, it was an interesting way there. There was a, a one time where one particular teacher, he was actually wanting to help me a lot and wanting me to be involved and do things. So he was sort of, if anything, he was favourite, you know, just making things a bit easier for me. But I could see, I see now what he was doing was to, to ensure that I was included um, and that. But it sort of, you know, lost me favours with my friends because they started to call me the teacher's pet. But that was only, but he was, he thought that was a good thing to do just so I could be included, which in a way it was met with good um, feelings, not so much um, to be negative and exclusive. The other in relation to bullying, yes. So um, some of the children in my um even in second class, started then, uh, you know, to make fun and mock and telling me that I was a baby and this sort of thing. So, but the big impact that had on me is I didn't want to go to school. So I'd go home and say to mum, I'm not going there anymore because they laugh at me and make fun of me. And she said, you know, you have to go, you know, you must have an education and uh, she wanted to speak to the principal but I didn't want her to do that. But um, the doctor, she consulted the wise doctor and he actually said to her, um, maybe start with the parent of the person that was the main instigator of the bullying because there was one person, we'll call him Roger for this, um, that was picking on me and it was his friends or the, the ones that hung around with him. They were acting as bystanders, so they were actually laughing. They weren't stopping, as I say to the children in the schools when I talk to them, as to be, to be an upstander, stand up against people that bully and be a friend to the person that's being bullied. And um, so his friends were actually being upstand, uh, bystanders and enabling that to happen. But so anyway, it continued. And my mother said um, one day when we, she, she actually came to pick me up at the school and she said, Marie, um, we're going around to Roger's home and we're going to talk to Roger's mother because this has got to stop, you know. Mm. It's impacting your um, wanting to go to school, you want, you're not learning um, because you're unhappy and you're distraught. Um, so I was like, what? We No, no, we can't go around there. But we went and the doctor had said to my mother, um, if you take her there, you hold her hand, um, when you knock on the front door, um, Marie stands in front of you and you put your hands on her shoulders. So she feels you're there supporting her. So she did do this and then Roger's mother came to the door and my mother said, um, 
Roger's mother, my daughter Marie, goes to school with Roger. They're in the same class. Marie's going to tell you why she doesn't want to go to school anymore. So that was a bit of a, ooh. Mm, I can imagine. And so (laughs) whatever, I think I was like. Put you on the spot there. (laughs) There was no prep with this. It was. Yeah. And she, uh, so anyway, so mum, uh, Roger's mother called Roger to the door and she said, are you and Marie in the same class? And he sort of looked at me, not very happy that I was there and nodded. And then she said, um, Marie, why don't you want to go to school anymore? And I said, because Roger picks on me. Mm. And, she, and and like, I, I didn't say it like I'm saying it now, of course, I would have been like. Shaking, petrified, yeah, unsure. about exactly. the repercussions of admitting, yeah, of what was going mm. to happen here. Mm. And this is why I'd said to my mother, I don't want um, actually this to happen because it'll make things worse. Mm. Um, and that's so typically she, the issue there that you know a lot of people mm. withhold from actually speaking up about the bullying that they're facing in fear of repercussion, in in fear of the kind of repercussions they're going to face. And you were an eight-year-old child, so already you have those fears and self-doubt that you might be holding about yourself. Exactly, exactly, that I didn't belong. This is what they were telling me that I, and that's why I wanted to stay at home. And this is what happens is when young people like that are bullied, they don't want to go, they don't feel like they fit in, they're not being included. And as I say to the children, you know, and I said I wanted to play sport, I wanted to do the things my friends and my peers do. Mm. And this is what, you know, that was a barrier that was stopping. Absolutely. the fortunate thing about that situation was that his mother was a good mum and she actually told Roger that uh, to ask him to apologise to me there and then. Mm. And that's where it starts. It starts with the parents. If the parents don't instill that education and awareness in their children, how can they expect Mm. positive Mm. behaviour from them if they don't educate them from a young age? Exactly, exactly, exactly. So this, this situation turned out to be it was a good result because... She took it very seriously and she said to my mother and myself, this will not happen again. And um, I was fearing going back to school. It was actually Friday, so I had the weekend to get over it. But Monday morning came. But the good thing was it did have the right result. That stopped, um, which was great. So that doctor had given good advice to my mother, to my parents. My mother carried it out. She didn't. She, she tells me now uh, she didn't enjoy doing it, but she knew that something had to happen and the good thing was. But, of course, later on, uh, other times, things happened again. But my mother was, you know, the typical thing is, come on, Marie, you have to stand up to it. Mm. You've got to tell them because it's going to continue. Your difference is very visible and people, you need to grow stronger 
and be able to manage this because it will keep happening. Absolutely. And it does. We know that being physically different has its fair share of struggles. And for you particularly, mm. you have to work and live in a world built for average height adults. So talk to mm -hmm. us about, you know, what are some of the ways that the outside world can be challenging for someone like you? What kind of modifications mm. or adaptations sure. do you need inside and outside of the home? Sure, sure. That's a great question. In relation to you know, just being able to be included in things and to look like my peers, of course. So the clothing is um, my arms and legs are um, disproportionately short. That's how it's impacted my dwarfism. I have a chondroplasia and it's the most common form of dwarfism, right? So it's disproportionate. My body trunk or my trunk is actually average height. So when I, if I was to sit next to you, mm. and usually when I go into the class with the children, I ask the teacher to sit on a chair and I sit on a chair next to them and show them that when we sit, we're eye to eye nearly, right? Rough, mm. roughly, roughly. But when we stand, I'm the height of a child yep. and they're average height. So it, I said to the children, see my legs. So when you think um, the chairs... Um, need to be for me to have my feet on the ground. I need to have a footrest when sitting because my legs will dangle unless I'm sitting on a chair that is, you know, for a young child and then my feet are on the ground. But, of course, you don't get that at your desk. So for sitting and that, for school, um, I, well, I, I would have had, I had a stool underneath my chair to put my feet on. Um, there's with my hot modifications now, the Department of Education do a lot of uh, modifications for children. So the bubbler would needed a step. Of course, I used to use the kindy bubblers. I used them right through primary school if it was if there wasn't one. Because for me, when I went to school, which was 60 years ago <laughs> when I started, um, there weren't many things as mods, but I certainly got stools. Um, those sort of things were around. So for the children now, they will have a lot more modification and adaptions um, mm. to be done, which is great. Um, in going out into the community, of course, we need to have benches and counters that are lower. So with accessibility now, things do become wheelchair access, ramps. You put in a ramp for someone in a wheelchair, they can give access to so many different groups of people, whether it's a parent with a pram or an elderly grandparent with a walker, you know, someone like me that can't manage a lot of stairs anyway, maybe because our legs are shorter, someone that physically needs to have a, a, a mobility scooter to get in, someone on crutches, and then I say to the children, even a delivery person with a trolley. You make access for one group, you, have, you meet a lot of people's needs. So there's that, that sort of thing counters to be lower. Some places are going to reception desks are ridiculously high. One hotel, actually, which I'm still <laughs> not happy with in Newcastle, <laughs> it's, it's after hours yep. um, swipe. For, wow, um, and you, you can't in. reach it, you it's can't access way. it. I couldn't reach it. Neither could anyone in a wheelchair oh, because no. it's right up at the top of a step. I had to ring the hotel up and get them to come out, open the front door, and and I've still they still haven't changed it. And mm, but disappointing. I, these sort of barriers yeah. is very are very disappointing. 
um, which is I continually, I, I do access audits for the New South Wales Accessible Arts, which are, mm. is an arts-based organisation. They're based in Sydney, but we cover galleries, performance spaces, um, any space with in relation to arts um, we go to and look and do it. You know, we've been to the Art Gallery of New South Wales, we've been to the Maritime Museum, and that, and we do an access audit and tell them all those barriers. And it's wonderful. I get so excited doing things because it's making the environment more accessible, not just for my uh, group of people, but for everybody. So um, it benefits their business exactly. as well. They should think exactly. about their business. If anything, you know, the That's tourism it. industry is enormously yeah. vast, and you know, we need to be able to make it accessible and inclusive for all groups of people. Exactly. Something as simple as a ramp or having, you know, the key card section accessible for people in wheelchairs and wolfism, it can be facilitated for them. Exactly. The other part is, you know, my car, you know, young people with dwarfism want to drive. So, of course, because if my legs are short, you know, I say to the children, what would I need? And that, that they, some of them are on the ball and others are really thinking and they have to come up with ideas. But, I mean, basically I have extended pedals. Other people have um, it differently. They need the seat higher. I don't need the seat higher. I certainly need to be forward because my arms are shorter and this sort of thing. So we need modifications in the car because it's my body, uh, the, the length of my limbs, that prevents me from doing that. So therefore having those modifications help me to do it. And it's the same as in the home. I want to be independent. I want to be able to cook for myself and be safe. So whether it's hanging washing on the line, I have a a platform. And as I say to the children, uh, why don't I just bring the line down low to my height? Some of them go, yeah, why don't you do that? But others go, no, your washing would drag on the ground. Mm. And I said, exactly. Or someone else will say, no, you, you wouldn't get enough sun or the wind couldn't blow it around. And I said, exactly, their minds are really on the ball. So we look at ways to adapt and this is what's slowly happening. But with the more that you do what you're doing on your radio program, having these discussions and talking about it is making people's awareness. So that's impacting on attitude, which is great. Absolutely. One really important thing that I want to focus on today is about mm-hmm. language and how we interact mm-hmm. with people of short stature. Mm. And we know that members of yeah. the short statured community are regularly quite subject to name calling. And many people yes. use the word midget when referring to someone yes. with dwarfism. Mm. Why is it such an offensive and derogatory word to members of your community? Mm. Because Basically, I think it's said to mock, mm-hmm. it's used to mock. It is actually a term. It's, it's sort of people think it, it originates a midge is an insect, something you squash. Um, midget actually does, if you do look at it in the dictionary, and it was a term that was used in the 50s and the 60s to refer to someone with dwarfism, yeah. uh, someone with short stature. That's right. The way it is said now, we don't like it because it's it's said in a derogatory way. I say to the children, I you know, with people with dwarfism or um, short stature, they decide what they would like to be referred to. For myself personally, I'm a woman. 
or a person first mm. um, with dwarfism or short stature. I don't, um, I'm not that comfortable with saying I'm a dwarf, but that's up to me to say it. It's not up for someone to call me that. If you're going to refer to me, and I'm, I think most people would like to be referred to as a person, but there are young people with my condition that are comfortable with that term and they talk about, they would say I am a dwarf, but it's up to that person. So for me, um, I'm a person or a woman, so I say to the children, after I've spoken to them at the school, I say, so what will you say to mum or dad, whoever's at home today, after what happened at school today? Would you say it, a midget came to the class and spoke? Oh, no, no, Marie, we wouldn't say that. And uh, we'd say, uh, a lady called Marie who has dwarfism or a woman with dwarfism or short stature came and told us about her life. And so it's getting the language because I say to them, um, that's right, I do have that condition and you can talk in that way, but as long as it's kind and respectful. And that's the way we need to be with everybody and we don't need to be everyone's friend, but we need to treat everyone with kindness. And some of the children in the classes, they actually say, it's really interesting, you know, one young girl, she flipped her, hearing aid, her hair back to show me her hearing aids and she said, I also have disability. She said, I am deaf. And if it wasn't for my hearing aids, I wouldn't be able to, you know, hear properly. So she said, you've given me, I really like you've come and spoken to me because you've given me, you're making me feel good to be part of this and accepting difference. It's, it's wonderful. And then young children also that are neurodivergent, you know, on the spectrum, and they will say, you know, because I talk about that, 90% of disabilities, like the young girl with the hearing aids and is covered, and the young people with autism or people that are vision, you cannot see maybe until they start to use an aid, um, are, it's invisible disabilities and 90% of them. So we all communicate differently. We may hear differently. We may feel emotions in that differently. We learn differently. Okay, mm -hmm. I mobilise, I walk differently but just appreciate that difference in all of us Absolutely. and what we've got. When you were talking before, people say to me, yes, you do experience the world differently, which is actually um, a different experience for someone that is not, uh, doesn't have dwarfism or doesn't live with another, you know, I, I experience it different to everyone else. But I was saying to someone, but along with that difference comes strength. And it, because it it actually builds strengths within me, of course, to begin with, as I said before, when we began, I had to learn early to advocate and stand up for myself. So I've got that ability. You can see I'm quite confident when I talk Absolutely. and that, and I love doing it. But there's other things like I have to adapt all the time to an environment that's not built. So I walk into a room that I've never been into before and, you know, maybe the food or whatever's in right in the middle of the table or maybe the things that we need to do whatever work or task we're doing are there and I'm straight away working out how I'm going to reach that, how I'm going to get that or if there's something up or I come to someone's house and there's a doorbell I can't reach. So there is me prepared. I've got to get either something out of my bag and I often carry a few things in my car, a reacher, which gets things down or presses a doorbell. 
um, and this sort of thing. So we're really adaptive and it's the same with other differences as well. Lots to contribute. That's right. You're having to deal with those um, physical barriers in place Mm. and then you have to also Mm. deal with the offensive expressions and, you know, Mm. we said that the most appropriate thing to do is to call someone by their name but there are exactly there are some inoffensive expressions to use and it's so important to Mm. educate uh, particularly Mm. young children because if they grow up with a preconceived notion then that will later have repercussions but have you ever heard anyone refer to a person of short stature as it you know they might say look at it as if you're not a human perhaps a different species I think that's absolutely even in clinical capacity in medical journals the language is something like this male dwarf Mm. you know and and what people should understand is Mm. that the person is not a chondroplasia but has a chondroplasia and and so um The expression a person with a chondroplasia values the person and not the condition mm. over the person. Exactly, exactly. And it does make, I've often, I have also heard doctors talk about the burden of the condition. And I actually address that because I say the burden, my life is a burden. It's not. Yeah. It's actually, as I said to you, it's, I add value to the team I work in to my family because I view things differently, to my friends, it's value-adding. It's not a burden. There are, of course, some health complications and things. Yep, there are, and that is a fact. But I tell you what, my life is not a burden. My parents would, you know, my mother, it's what I have added to that family, and my siblings would say the same thing, yeah. And I know my work environment, I know the people I speak to within uh, the short stature people of Australia, that membership group or that community group, yeah, the the amount of value that we add to one another's lives and that is, is, you know, you can't buy that. That's right, exactly. And there's also this notion that, Dwarfism is a disease that requires a cure. Mm. Um, Many people with the condition live a long and prosperous life. So, And there are people with dwarfism who who do have medical complications, you know, some more severe than others. But all in all, you're you're human, you're trying to navigate through Mm. life, you're trying to contribute to society. So it's really important to really educate ourselves and not let those notions or ideas come in the way of our interactions with people of short stature. I just wanted to add, because when you were talking about how in the beginning, you know, with the film industry and how we are are in roles that would mock and make fun of, and this is where we really want to create that that change because um, having people with dwarfism acting in mainstream roles, which is great, getting messages across to young children, this is what we need more of. Mm. Seeing us as a receptionist, seeing us just, you know, because we all have these jobs. You know, there are people with dwarfism that are teachers, people that are lawyers, mechanics. There, um, you know, we do veterinary sciences. We're doctors. We're neurosurgeons. We're actors, we do accountants, we're, you know, everywhere. 
um, we, we do all those sort of things that everyone else does. But it's the, when they, you know, they, they see us, it's like they only saw us maybe perform in a circus act mm. or do, um, you know, were made fun of in a movie. So they think, okay, well, I can do that. I can laugh and joke at that person. Mm. But we're not there to be humorous. We're not there to make your child laugh. And I love it when actually parents uh, encourage the child. It's more like, yes, the lady is short. And I actually engage with children now immediately as soon as they notice me. But that's me and the way I manage it because I find as soon as I engage, it actually, if it's going to develop into something that could be derogatory, it stops it because it's a little bit, we have conversation. Yes, I am short. You did notice that. Yep, very clever. I'm not going to. A young girl said to me one day, you grew up little. And I said, very good. I've grown up, but I'm little. little. I'm not as, I'm not tall like mum or dad, whoever was standing there. They were a bit, uh, you know, embarrassed, their parents. But I said, no. I said, your daughter's very smart. I have grown up little. So we need more of that in mainstream media. Mainstream, you Mm -hmm. know, because we're in the mainstream jobs. We're out there. We work every in all different jobs. But I just wanted to say, you know, do you think dwarfism isn't well understood by the community at large because... Namely, because dwarfism isn't quite common and that the majority of people do not know or interact much with people of short stature. You know, that example that you gave of that interaction really opens up people's ideas and perceptions and and really, you know, ignites that focus. And and that's a thing, you know, we mentioned that throughout history, as within the current Mm. media, people of short stature have often been a popular form of entertainment, not so much mm-hmm. for for any talents they might have, but due to their distinctive mm. appearance, in particular, of course, yes. their small stature. Um, yep. But you are a person who yep. is in favour of positive media exposure. You actively seek yep. to be a positive element in society. But Absolutely. you definitely are opposed to being used as tools for mockery because that presents an ugly and defaced image. So it is quite disappointing to see how much those media narratives really produce Mm. societal beliefs about, you know, people of short stature. And the thing Mm. is you acknowledge that you look different. You acknowledge that you're short and that people are quite naturally curious about your height, but it's how people react to your difference that is what is helpful. Mm. Talk to us about perhaps some of the quite frightening encounters that you've had where someone might have harassed you in public. Mm-mm. Mm. Well, I mean, it, well, there was one situation that happened not long ago, um, but because I'm older, I can deal with it, but it's riding my bicycle because I've got a modified bike and um, I'm riding along and then I think I stopped at traffic lights. That was it because I had to wait for the light or whatever. And then uh, a young woman in a car um, took off from the traffic lights and she um, had her mobile phone in her hand and she had the window down. So she yelled out, hey, midget, because she's wanting me to look at her Mm. and she's driving and holding the camera off the phone. So she's making a video of me. I've had a car go past where both the passenger and the passenger behind 
the passenger in the back seat um, went slowly so they could both film me. Um, as I say to young people, I can manage that. I can, it's not going to stop me from going out. But how would that impact on younger people? That is frightening. That is derogatory. And it is challenging. It's very challenging. And I know that other people with dwarfism have had similar or even worse experiences. Young men, because of the, uh, there is a sport there was um, in Australia, it's stopped, thank goodness, dwarf tossing and being picked up by average height men and tossed. And one young man, there's a horrible thing that happened in the UK where he is severely injured as a result of it. What was the other one I was also going to tell you about? Oh, uh, I know of a young man that was, and I know a woman that was actually leapfrogged over by average height young people, daring one another to do it while the other one filmed them. And as I say to the young mm. people, you know, that stops, that makes you fearful to go out that because it's, you know, it's dangerous. Absolutely. But, you know, at the very least, you know, we spoke about language um, and you spoke about some of the physical mm. interactions that they're having with people of short stature. Is being patted on the head or reaching over your head to reach something, grab a door, shake mm. someone's hand, high five someone, would you find it quite condescending and dismissive of your presence if someone did that? Absolutely. Being patted on Absolutely. the head or. Patted on the head is a no no. Mm, you do not mm. touch. You you wouldn't, it, it, you know, I say to people, why did you do that? <laughs> and this person said to me once, oh, well, you're oh, sorry, you're like a child. I said, I am not a child. That's right. I said, I might even be older than you. Yeah. And the, you know, you know, I said, I'm not a dog and I'm, no, I'm nobody's pet. You know, it's that derogatory way that people seem to think. And leaning, I actually say to people. Yeah, crouching like, or leaning when, when speaking. Yeah, to you yeah. yeah yeah over the top of you taking my space mm. um like you said maybe reaching for something and not not actually you know as if that was an average height person they wouldn't be able to do that or they'd say excuse me but yep. they lean across so i tell people with covid we had to put we had to be 1.5 meters i said to people um stand back get back on your spot Get back on your dot. I need my space too. Yeah. So it was a really good awareness thing, I think, with COVID of how we need to give people that space Yeah. for exactly. other reasons, not only just for the COVID bit. But, but, you, but you're quite vocal. Space. You know, when you see yeah. someone doing the wrong thing or interacting with you in an inappropriate manner, you're quite vocal, are you, telling them, you know, excuse yeah. me, yeah. you know, can you do things a bit, mm. bit different? Obviously, you're going to say yes. it in a more polite way, you know, just yes. please for yes. next time, yeah. you know, it's important. And, yeah. you know, to do things this way. There's a lot of people shy yeah. away from actually speaking about how they wish to be treated in fear of, again, we have that fear of repercussion. But it's really important yeah. to, to speak out. And if you are a bystander, if you are watching that happened or before encourage. your very own eyes, exactly, encourage appropriate language and appropriate behaviour. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's where exactly all of that. We did a, um, the, on behalf of the FSPA, myself and uh, several other people with dwarfism, I did it on behalf of the FSPA, but there are other women with dwarfism 
that lodged um, submissions. We attended a public hearing at the Disability Royal Commission last year. So that was, we felt very listened to. Um, that was a good opportunity for us to raise all that we've been speaking about today because we want to see change because that was under abuse in relation to the, the verbal abuse we received in public and the physical abuse there. So Absolutely. it was a great opportunity in that regard. And yep, it's great to, to know. That. So we're waiting yeah. now. Yep. Yeah, it's great to know that you're doing a lot um, and your team are doing a lot in terms mm. of building understanding of um, mm. your condition and about disability in general and breaking down mm. misconceptions and social barriers. Mm. So we know that, yep. as you mentioned, you've been part of really important inclusion programs for primary age mm. children. You know, education starts yep. with them because we know, as we spoke about, there are a lot of historical or preconceived notions of people with short stature. And we know that these representations that we're seeing in the media of people of short stature, they truly have a big impact on how they are culturally represented and, and treated by others. And, and a lot of people seem mm. to think that because you are being made fun of in movies and in the media, that they're entitled to make fun of you too. So I think yes, each and exactly. all of us play a part. You know, it's not just your role or my role as, mm. you know, working in community media, but it's also each and yeah. every one of our role um, to really promote kindness exactly. and inclusive culture, you know, especially when it comes to young teenagers they have this kind yep. of behaviour. It happens more frequently and predominantly, um, A, when they're teenagers and B, when they're in a group of people. So they really promote yep. um, mm. that really negative kind of behaviour. So it really starts with mm. each and every one of us. Marie, talk to us now yep. a bit about maybe social media. You know, Do you think that social mm. media exacerbates societal pressures around body image and heightens feelings of inadequacy oh definitely well social media has pluses and minuses doesn't it yeah social media um in that regard what you just said then of course around body image um when i was young it was the the girly magazines that showed you this is what you should be looking like and and, and I didn't fit that. I, I, I realised I had to stop reading those magazines and looking at that because it wasn't good for my mental health and acceptance of me. Um, with social media, of course, the likes and this sort of stuff, how many friends you've got, um, yeah, look what someone mm. else is doing compared to what I'm doing, what I'm missing out on. And then, of course, the image itself because we need to keep on that track of building empathy, understanding awareness and acceptance and inclusion of difference of everybody That's right. in that regard. But, yeah, it's a powerful tool, social media, negative and positive. That's yep. right. Especially TikTok nowadays, we know a lot of people in the disability space are promoting awareness about their condition, about their experiences. Mm. And then you have people in the comments section making mm. derogatory mm. remarks because, mm. you know, mm. they feel like Definitely. they're anonymous, no one can see them. Mm. But mm. then we find mm. out later that that comment has had deep repercussions on that person with special mm. needs. You mm. know, they're trying to exactly. generate a platform for themselves they're trying to make the world more inclusive for themselves and for members of their community and then you have people there not caring about the repercussions that it might have on them but mm. it's so important for all of us to 
to promote positivity and, and teaching women particularly to be very comfortable in their own skin. Yes. It takes a long time, mm. I can imagine. I'm pretty sure it, you know, the process for you has been quite long, coming to terms mm. with being a little person with your physical height, complicated mm. by the world's prejudice. But you are happy with who you are yep. and how you look like. It's taught yep. you life lessons. And really, yep. we can learn so much from your experience and from your attitude. It's so important to have that positivity, you know, regardless yep. of the situation that you're faced with. Yeah. No, it, it certainly is. And I see all the wonderful young people with dwarfism that are at the moment we're getting ready to get a team to send to the World Dwarf Games, which are going to be in Germany in July, August. And it's just wonderful to see them there. And they're positive. We've also set up a mentoring program within the Short Stature People of Australia so that they're um, adults with dwarfism and they're there to mentor and for young mentees. So young people who might be, you know, going into high school or just dealing with a few of those issues about having did the, the difference and managing it, we're setting up, um, well, we have this program established now, which is great, which is as a result of all that we've been talking about. But just to give them that, here's someone you can talk to, you can reach out to as well, as well as other people, of course. Yeah. But yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, that's great to know that you've that you're working really hard to advocate for members of your community and to really promote understanding. Dwarfism is not a reason to assume that someone is incapable. And what you have achieved throughout your career, throughout your life, it really proves that little people can do just about anything an average sized person can. Yeah. But it's in a different way, and that's okay. Exactly. Marie Jenner, Vice President of the SSPA, the Short Statured People of Australia, thank you immensely for raising awareness yeah. and challenging barriers for people who have dwarfism. It is such yeah. a great opportunity to inform and, and to correct stereotypes, educate people about dwarfism, and particularly about the language that people may use when referring to people of short stature. Thank you so much for that. Thank you.